All right. Good morning to you. And uh, let's say I want to start off just an opening kind of analogy picture for you just to think about, put yourself in this kind of situation. Let's say you wake up tomorrow morning and you get this dreaded text on your phone right here, right? And let's say it's from a friend or a spouse and, hey, we need to talk about something you said last night. Or maybe it's Monday morning and your boss sends you a text and, hey, we, need, we really need to talk about that project. The, the outcomes aren't, aren't uh, there's some concerns about those things. So you wake up to that text what are some of the things that you might be feeling inside? Physiologically, what are some of the things that might be happening to you? Well, I think what happens to most of us would probably be some of these kind of things. Your mind will immediately start racing and start trying to think of all the things that you said or did or everything that's happened with that project. I mean, it's going a mile a minute, and you're reviewing everything you can imagine to try to put your finger on what they might be talking about, right? Suddenly, no matter what time of the year it is, you probably feel like the AC needs to be turned on. Why? Because you're sweating. For some reason, you start getting some drips down your brow, under the arms, whatever it is. It's uh, no matter what you're wearing, no matter what uh, time of the year it is, you want the AC to come on. Your, your, your mind's racing. You start sweating. Your heart begins to beat faster. And then some of us, including myself, but definitely on this one, the defenses start going up, right? You review something you said and you think about the three reasons why it was, why you should said that, right? Or you start thinking about the project and you start trying to hem yourself in and figure out how you can dodge or blame or, or shift everything to the next person around you. You know some form of correction is coming down your path, and you're a little anxious about it. Little might be uh, uh, too slight of a word there, right? Well, the Proverbs has a lot to say about those kind of texts. It has a lot to say about those kind of life situations, and it really is a critical component of thinking about this pathway of wisdom this Proverbs laying out for us. But before we dive into maybe our posture on how we think about these kind of moments, I want us to just kind of get a 30,000-foot review real quick of where we've been as we've kind of dig, dig into Proverbs a little bit. And I've got three statements on the screen uh, that are really beginning, that are foundational points from our first uh, times together and really foundational in Proverbs to help us understand what the book of Proverbs wants to teach us. And so one of those statements is that wisdom is not an algorithm that gives us the right answers, but a pathway we pursue. So uh, ultimately, this book, the book of Proverbs, was, was compiled to lay out a pathway of wisdom for us, a pathway that God says, hey, when you hit all the junk in life, this pathway is going to be guidance for you. And he's given it to us not because he's wanting kind of after us. He's given it to us because he's a father who loves us and wants us to flourish in this world. And so it's not so much, hey, what are the right answers to these every moments I'm in, but what's some guidance for all that life brings? That's the first thing we've been seeing here. But we also see that the pathway of wisdom is centered on our King and Father. What we mean by that is that fear of Him, a joyful awe and reverence of who He is, is the foundation or beginning of this pathway. And what we, what we saw is that we're not going to want to follow this pathway, nor will we really understand it, unless something other than ourself is at the center of our life. It's got to be revolved around something bigger than us. Namely, a joyful awe of the Lord. That gives uh, an understanding and direction to all that Proverbs wants to teach us. And then last week we looked at the pathway of wisdom. It's going to require us to be skeptical of our own understanding and trust Him. And every day there's collisions that take place between how God sees the moment and how we see it. His infinite understanding and our finite understanding. And the question becomes, who will yield to Him? 
And so these are foundational principles we see in the first few chapters of Proverbs. So the way Proverbs is laid out is the first nine chapters are essentially longer kind of uh, sections that King Solomon is trying to ready us for all the truth that's going to come in chapters 10 on. And so these are foundational components we've been putting together, and there's one more for us that we want to deal with uh, before we move into kind of all the life topics that come from chapters 10 on. And we've seen that one of the core foundational moments is we've got to learn to trust our King and Father. And this week, we're going to see that we need to have a teachable heart. And so our big picture, what we're going after today, you'll see on the screen, is that the pathway of wisdom requires you and I to be teachable to our King and Father, to be teachable to Him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and uh, we're a people who we know on paper our only hope and life and death is you, but so often uh, we find our hope in many other things. Uh, and that's often the reason why correction is so difficult for us. Um, and Father, so we come before you a broken people, a needy people. There's not one of us that steps in this room that, got, that has it all together, that did all the right things this week and said all the right things and avoided all the things we shouldn't. And so what we confess before you is our only hope is your love is your grace. And Father, I ask that because of your love and your grace towards us, that you would teach us, that you would meet us where we are, no matter how we're coming in, and that you would give us insight to what you want us to understand about this pathway of wisdom that you're laying before us. And so would you do something that, that not one of us, including myself, have no power to do, and that's to make your word come alive in our hearts. And so we look to you now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to begin kind of the idea of this posture of being teachable. And so if you've parented for any amount of time or have seen parents parent, um, what are some telltale signs that a child that you're approaching is teachable to what you want to tell them in that moment? Is it kind of the arms crossed, a frowny face kind of turned away from you? Does that signify to a parent that this child is teachable and wants to hear from you? Absolutely not. Far from it. Usually what that posture resembles, and we've all been there, done that, is a heart that's more bent on wanting its own way and not wanting to hear. Well, what does the Proverbs tell us? What does it look like to have a posture of teachability? What does it look like to have a posture of correction? Well, I want us to see in, in what, what we see in this, this cha- these, these chapters we looked at that there's two really major aspects of this posture of being teachable. And the first one is this, is that being teachable is reactive. That you're willing to receive correction and rebuke. So the Proverbs is clear that you and I and everyone else that's born in this world has a bent towards our own foolishness, our own selfishness. And foolishness, again, in Proverbs, it's not doing something stupid, although it's reviewed that way in Proverbs. It's actually being centered on ourselves and not on God. Living like God doesn't exist and living life for ourselves alone. That, that's what foolishness is. And so, if you and I have a bent towards foolishness in everyday life, then it makes sense that if we walk in this pathway of wisdom, get the correction is going to come at some point, right? Even for the most wise among us, it will come at some point because of this natural bentness. And this is what our passage tells us today. So, let's look at Proverbs 9 7 through 9 and then Proverbs 15. Starting in verse 7 there, the one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker, he will hate you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Instruct the wise and he'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and he will learn more. And then on in chapter 15, 
One who listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. Anyone who ignores discipline despises himself. But whoever listens to correction acquires good sense. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. So we see here the posture of the wise, that they're willing to receive correction. The wise will love you for a rebuke. They'll be wise. They'll be more wise and learn more. The wise considers correction to be life-giving and increases our good sense. So you get that the value there coming out to be teachable, right? Well, what does it look like to be willing to receive correction? And I think sometimes in life, we're moving down this pathway of life, and hopefully in the pathway of wisdom, and a readjustment is going to come in a form of kind of a rebuke or a correction, and we yield to it. And so willing to receive correction is means we're not dodging it, we're not defensive against it, even no matter who it's coming from, right? Instead, we sit under it, we hear it, we heed it. And this is what I mean when I say teachable in a reactive way. When correction comes, we receive it. So where does it come? Where does, well, sometimes correction is going to come if you're just reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit brings, you, brings conviction over, over a passage. That happens. More often than not, though, correction comes from a couple different other facets. One is through others. And this is probably one of the ways we don't like to receive it, Right? It's going to come through an open rebuke or a confrontation from another person. And that in and of itself, most of us in here don't like confrontation, right? And so we begin to see the challenge. But here's why God orchestrates that one of the main ways correction comes is through others. is because you and I see life with blinders, and we definitely see ourselves with blinders on. But others have usually a little bit more clear sight in who we are and what we're like and how we come across. And so God has orchestrated it where a lot of times that correction, even though it might not sometimes come from a right heart from that other person, is often orchestrated by God to give us insight and to bring us back to this, this pathway of wisdom. But even when we hear that word correction, a lot of times we, we build it up to this be this massive sense of confrontation in this once-in-a-lifetime rebuke that comes from someone that's devastating. And we can build it up by like, but, but I don't think the Proverbs teaches that correction is this one-time moment that's a huge confrontation in a relationship. It does come in the form of a life-giving rebuke from another. And we're going to see more of that when we talk about friends and conflict later in Proverbs. But oftentimes, it's just subtle course correction that life brings us. I mean, even this week, I can give you three instances with people in my home where I said or did something that was definitely out of line of this pathway of wisdom. And there was a correction at that moment. There was no rebuke from the other person. There was no massive confrontation. But it was clear I was outside of this pathway, and the Holy Spirit brought conviction. And it was just a subtle course correction. What am I going to do at that moment? Am I going to stiffen up, or am I going to yield and go to whoever I wronged and deal with it in whatever way I wronged it and receive that course correction? And move on in life. And so often not, I really believe most of the correction the Lord has for us is just in life circumstances. It's not in these big massive deals, but it's just in the everyday life. We are prone to foolishness. It's in using life circumstances to bring us back in line with who he is. And regardless if it comes through people or situations, us receiving it is being teachable. And uh, I think there's something that each of us, as we even talk about teachability, my guess is that in this room, uh, most of us are teachable to a lot of areas in our life. 
There are a lot of areas if that you want to come give us correction and insight, we're willing to receive it. But there are going to be a few areas we're pretty sensitive about. And we're not so eager to be teachable there. But you get no sense from Proverbs or any of the passages we looked at that this correction and willingness to receive correction is only reserved for the areas that you wanted to be reserved in, right? Usually, we're hesitant, but God is saying we need to be teachable in all areas in your life. I want to give you a couple analogies that kind of help us with this. And so you're going to see a couple pictures on the screen there. Uh, but one is that I think there are, we, we can approach life, and I think with all of us this is the case, there are some areas of our life that we got off-limits signed to authorized personnel only. And guess who that authorized personnel is? You and no one else. And so we're all about learning to have a better marriage, but maybe we're not so sure we want the Proverbs to speak into how we relate to money. So there's an off-limit sign in that area of our life. Or maybe we're all about the Proverbs speaking into our work ethic, but we slow down before we get any Proverbs about sexuality. That, that, there's an off-limit sign, authorized personnel only there. But here's what's interesting. If you look at the breadth of the topics that Proverbs deals with, that is instructive in and of itself that there's no areas off-limits. Work, sexuality, conflict, relationships, family, how you relate to the poor, all of it is all over Proverbs. What does that tell us? There's no off-limit signs. God is saying if you want to walk in this pathway of wisdom, we've got to add a few authorized personnel to those areas of your life. First and foremost, me, but then others as well. Because correction is going to come from more than just directly from God. And so he's given us that, that perspective here, right? But there's also this, this way uh, that we go about life where there's some areas where we have kind of an open hand in, and sure, God, these, these things are yours. But there's other areas of life, and usually one or two, where we just more have a closed fist, or at least halfway there, right? Where there's a bit, a bit of a reluctance that we want God to speak into that area, especially other people. And I know for me, like I, I'm willing to receive correction at this stage in my life about my words and the way I speak. I mean, it's not fun, but I'm willing to receive it because I realize that's an area I need to grow in and that affects a lot of people. But honestly, when I get to the Proverbs about how we relate to the, the poor, I, I get more of a clenched fist because it, it, there's a sense where it just feels a little bit overwhelming, a little bit, I don't really want to know how, what it might take for me to live in line with those Proverbs. So I, I, I can tend to read those with a closed fist. And God is saying, we don't, we don't work like that in Christianity. If you follow me, everything is an open hand. And how is that because I'm a vengeful God? It's because, no, I want you to flourish in every area of your life. And the reality is you think flourishing and I think flourishing happens when we clench our fists and we get to do what we want in those areas. And God is saying it's absolutely the opposite. It's going to lead you to death and destruction. I want you to have life. Open up. Let me be an authorized personnel. That's the picture we're getting here with this pathway of correction and teachability. And so on one level, this being teachable is reactive. But there's another aspect of the teachability that's proactive, that you're intentionally pursuing wisdom. So it's not just about receiving correction when it comes your way. It's more than that. Let's look back at our Proverbs 9 passage in verses 4 through 6. He says, Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, come and eat my bread and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave inexperience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. 
And so this is an invitation that we're going to come back to a little bit later here. But the picture you get in this invitation is this pro- proactive and intentional pursuit. I mean, the words enter, come, leave, pursue, they're active words. I mean, the pathway of wisdom is something we should pursue with eagerness. And all over chapters 1 through 9, if you've been looking at it with us in our connect groups, it's all over the place. This, this positive, proactive pursuit of wisdom. And I want to just want to highlight to you, and you'll see on the screen here, that there, if you take chapters 1 through 9, there are at least, in my count, 74 intentional commands that are related to getting to, listening to, and keeping wisdom in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. And those aren't commands about other things that are in there, like maybe uh, um, vocation or work or those kind of things. That, that are, it's just about getting wisdom. What's going on here? I think what, and remember the, the break in from chapters 1 through 9 up to chap, in, in, in chapters 10. In chapters 10, he's getting into all the life topics. And 1 through 9, he's preparing us. And so what's going on here? God's saying, if you want to pursue this pathway of wisdom, you've got to be teachable. You've got to go after it. It's got to be intentional in your life. It won't just come by reacting to it. You've got to go after it and pursue it. And there's a flow of commands. I, I think if you look at the overall, overarching, all these commands and list them all out, I would say there's some categories in them. And this is what I've seen in these categories. There's a sense of value, that there's a sense that this is from our King and Father who loves us and wants us to flourish. And so I set apart in my heart differently the wisdom that God has for me in the wisdom of the surrounding culture, right? There's an internalizing of it. I'm going to memorize it so it's ready on my lips, so it's on my mind. I guard it with my heart. And, and it's that so we can listen to it. If the only times you can listen to the Scriptures is when you're reading it for a few minutes each day, that's not a lot of listening. But if we internalize the Scriptures, we internalize this pathway of wisdom, as we're going apart in life, self-corrections happen because we listen to what He says. It comes, the Holy Spirit brings it upon our memory, and we're able to course-correct at work or in our family. And then we respond in faith that no matter what he asks, we understand there are no areas off limits, that we walk in trust because of who he is. This is the flow of some of these commands in chapters 1 through 9. Let's pause for a minute. What's it take from us if we're going to receive correction and pursue wisdom? If we're going to be both teachable in a reactive and proactive way? As I've been thinking about it this week, here's, here's what's come to mind, is that ultimately... If I'm going to be teachable, I've got to be able to admit that I don't know everything and I don't have it all together. There's just no way around it. If I'm going to be willing to receive correction, if I'm going to be willing to have no off-limit signs in my life, I've got to be willing to say, I don't have it all together and I don't know everything. And then secondly, I've got to, I have to admit or I have to want something better than life to be revolved around me. And I want you to just let that sit on you for a minute. You've got to say you don't have it all together and you've got to want something more than life being revolved around you. Does that sound hard? Is there any hesitancy in you in this morning when you hear that? Well, if you are, you came to the right place. That's where I'm at. And my guess is if we're honest, that's where a lot of us find ourselves to be. We don't usually want to be found out as not having it all together. Sure, I'm okay with uh, not knowing all there is to know about engineering, and I can admit that to you, but there are probably a lot of other things in life where I want to be found as having it all together, right? And usually, 
We want to have our own way. And we see this bent all over Proverbs, right? This is why the mocker hates correction in Proverbs 9, because they want their own way. And I think what it comes down to it is if we revere ourselves, then we're not going to be very teachable, at least in most areas of our life. The good news is for us this morning is our King and Father that we've come to worship, He's really patient with us. He knows us, He knows this struggle. And this is why we got a whole other, whole other part to our Proverbs 9 and a whole lot of truth in Proverbs 1 through 9 about him wooing to us to himself. And so look at this, look at this now, that God is wooing us to be teachable. And we can connect this back to last week a little bit, is that we're going to struggle to be teachable if we don't trust the one who has orchestrated all the situations to correct us, right? If we don't trust him, if we're skeptical of his understanding and not our own, we're going to have a really difficult time. But God knows this about us, and he's not angry at us in a sense that he wants to pounce on us. How does he respond? What do we see here in Proverbs 1 through 9? Well, uh, remember, one of the main things of 1 through 9 is, again, preparing us uh, for the way ahead of, of, of the pathway of wisdom. And so there's going to be lots of rewards and fruits listed and lots of consequences. If I was to ask you, if you were to think for yourself, and we'll put this on the screen in a moment, not yet, but if you were to think about ranking, what is the percentage of, of fruits and blessings inside of chapters one through nine about this pathway of wisdom, the consequences, what would you think they would be? Well, here's in reality what they are. You'll see them up on the screen. 54 to 12, and this isn't of SEC versus some small school score here, Right? <laughs> Every consequence given that God gives, for every consequence given, there are over four rewards or fruits to motivate you to be teachable. Just let that sink in for a minute. And this is just around the pathway of wisdom. These rewards and fruits of the pathway of wisdom are wide-ranging. Knowledge of God and understanding, length and quality of life, life and healing, glory and life without shame, secure daily living and confidence in reaching the final destination, constant protection. I mean, there's physical and spiritual connotations to all these. They're not promises. They're generally true. But even with that nuance, this is shocking. And what does this tell us about God? That he would stack the deck like that as he's trying to get our hearts to be teachable. I think it means he's not up there pointing his finger at us, warning us not to screw up again. I mean, you just can't escape that, right? There's some warning, which is loving. I mean, fear of consequences can be helpful in protecting, but they can't be everything, and God knows it. And so the overwhelming posture of God, the overwhelming of approach of God is to motivate you not with fear, but joy, and ultimately joy in him. Think how profound that is. Is that different than the way you came in thinking about God this morning? That he wants to motivate you with joy in him? That's the picture we're getting here. And this, to me, is a father who knows us and loves us, right? I mean, then, then you just narrow down and you see just even in chapter 9 what we're looking at here. Let's look at a few verses here. There's a comparison going out, a call to us. That puts this on ground level for us. Verses 1, 2, and 5 here. Wisdom has built her house. She's carved out her seven pillars. She's prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Come, eat my bread and drink the wine I've mixed. And then further down in 17 through 18. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten is secret is tasty. Is, is eaten secretly is tasty. But he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there, that her guests are in the depth of Sheol. So our king and father, what is he doing here? He's setting up a comparison before us. 
There's two paths. He wants to evaluate these two paths. He wants us to compare them. Compare them. And what does he use to compare them? Where is the emphasis? So wisdom has built this palace of this massive feast, and he's calling us to come and participate in this feast. Think about that for a moment. A feast is one thing to us. We've got a few coming up, right? Thanksgiving and Christmas are feasts for most of us. But if you live in a season, in a, in a, in a place, in a time period of life where famines were common, how much more a feast in a palace for you? And what's on the other side? What's the pathway of foolishness? Stolen bread. What is that analogy in and of itself screaming at you and I this morning? I want you to flourish. I want you to have joy in this world that I put you in. Come, feast. Don't settle for bread. He's appealing not to your fear. He's appealing to your joy and satisfaction in him. He chose this analogy because he knows how you're wired. And he chose this analogy because he loves you. And he wants you to come to him. That's the picture. We have a king and father who is seeking to woo his children. He's calling out to us, trust me, be teachable, be willing to receive correction and get wisdom. The result will be like joy of having a feast before you. That's what he's saying here about correction. He's calling out to us, you don't have it all together. I know you and I long for you to experience something other than a life of foolishness that's focused on self. This is our God this morning. He's calling us to be teachable, both in a reactive and a proactive way. And so where do we go from here? I want to give you three applications. So the first two will be on your screen, and we'll move to the third last. But the first two are this, is that, is that it's right for us to ask ourselves that what areas of life are you hesitant to be teachable? Where are the off-limit signs? Where's the area of life that you're holding with a closed hand? And what, I, what I'm encouraging you to do is to ask yourself that because what it means in those areas is that we're clinging to stolen sweet bread that is sweet for the moment instead of having the feast that God's laying out before us. That's the appeal that God's making. Closed fists, stale moldy bread. Open hand, no off-limit signs, a feast before you. That's the appeal he's making. He wants all of you this morning. And we can't really move forward in this pathway of wisdom selectively. There's no feast if you've got most areas of your life open-handed and a couple close-fisted. It's just not the way it works with God. To come to this feast, it's open hands. That's the picture we're getting here in Proverbs. And so that, that's one point of application that would be good and helpful for us. The second one, I think, is this, is we need to internalize the wisdom in Proverbs. And this fits more with the proactive aspect of teachability. And really, the first step to internalizing the wisdom of Proverbs is just to try to memorize it. I mean, it's as simple as that. And the reality is, is that the older you get, the harder it is to memorize, right? But it's the first step. It's got to be ready on our lips. There's several commands all over the chapters one through nine about that. And so we're trying to help you with this. So if you're doing a connect group, you got a study guide, it's in there. There's some, there's some key verses to memorize. If you're on social media, join our social media. We're putting out key verses twice a week just to remind you, to help you internalize this words. And, and this, is, this is why I would say that like this, is that in this battle of foolishness in our heart, vague ideas about God aren't very helpful. 
The appeal of this stolen bread and stolen water is so high in the moment that a vague idea about who God is and what he promises to us is like going into battle with a paper sword or rubber band gun. It's just not very helpful. And it's quite silly, on the other hand. And so what I'm challenging you to do is to consider having a feast internalized that you can go into this war in your heart with. That's the picture there. And so I want to challenge you to consider that. Our King and Father has given us this word. Let's take it in. And then lastly, and this is on the screen here, the third application for us is to come feast at the banquet of the gospel. What is our requirement in this feast in Proverbs 9? He's laid out a feast before us. What's the requirement? Did you catch the words? Fill your inexperience. <laughs> Fill your need for good sense. He's just saying you've got to be hungry. That's it. If you're coming in starving and hungry for something more that life has to offer you than what you're currently experiencing, that's all you need to enter this feast. This feast isn't for those that have it together. It's for those who are broken and struggling and oftentimes lured away from the feast of the gospel. And I want you to think about it from the sense of the gospel. This, we're reading this Proverbs, this side of Jesus. Paul Tripp has this quote that I think is powerful for us this morning that summarizes this feast of the gospel and how God meets us. He says, believer, Jesus is your righteousness. So how you handle your finances, that's not what you, your confidence in life. Whether or not you've read your Bible this week, or whether or not you haven't cussed at somebody this week, or whether or not you haven't looked at porn this week, whatever, whatever list you want to get, that's not where you're standing before God and others is. He says, believer, Jesus is your righteousness. So you are freed from needing to convince yourself and others that you are righteous on your own. You can fire your inner lawyer because you do not have to defend, excuse, or rationalize what grace has already forgiven. So at the banquet of the gospel, we receive a righteousness that enables us to invite correction. Right? You and I standing with God isn't our track record. Isn't how we're doing at work. Isn't how we're doing in ministry. Isn't how we're doing in anything you want to say. It's based on Jesus perfectly living out this pathway of wisdom. That's our record. And as a matter of fact, in another sense, you, you can't come to this banquet unless you're willing to receive correction, right? What does the gospel tell us? Really, the only requirement is that you come to God and confess that you've lived a life in rebellion and foolishness. And you agree with him that it just isn't worth living that way. That's the requirement of this feast. It's not that we have it together. or We've got it all fixed. And when we begin to understand that more and more, it softens our heart to a teachability to each other and to the circumstances God places us in. And at the banquet of this gospel, we receive his goodness in a relationship with him as his sons and daughters. We're going we're to see that he's all that we long for, that he is the better way. We're going to see that a joyful awe of the Lord is far better than a life centered on ourselves. And so, Grace Church, there's a feast offered to you today. And it's a feast that God says, if you're teachable, you're going to have a real life and drink and satisfaction in him. But if you want to hold on to certain areas of your life, you're settling for stolen bread 
This is what's offered us. It's a banquet of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us this book that's real practical and it speaks to all of our lives. And I'll be the first to confess that for some reason, I can't get it together in my mind that that feast is far better than moldy bread. Even though time and time again, I've tasted that moldy bread and it sure isn't very good. But Father, that's the very reason why you sent Jesus to come to this earth because we're a people that just struggle to see what's right in front of us. We're broken. We have hearts that are bent towards foolishness. And so I thank you, God, that you've dealt with all the roadblocks, that you've come and forgiven us of a lifetime of rebellion. And time and time again of denying this feast and running towards something that's worthless. And you've given us your righteousness so that we can stand upon that and not our own record. But then you draw us into your home where the feast really is. And you say, I'm your son and your daughter. And so, Father, what I ask above all things is that you would give us a gracious taste of those realities this morning. And let that soften us to what you want to do. If there's any in here this morning that just, it's always been off limits. God, would you soften them to see that there is no better life than life lived yielded to you. And would you bring them to yourself? And so God, would you meet us? Would you show us the areas that we struggle to submit to you? And would you help us? Would you help us internalize this pathway and help us to follow you? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.